0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalised alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, A very good Monday morning to you. The ever-given cargo ship is reportedly refloated in the Suez Canal after running aground nearly a week ago. Now it's a question of clearing the backlog. Oil prices fall on the news as traders now start to price in the opening up of supply routes. U.S. futures
1: dipping after Wall Street hits a fresh record high on Friday in a session dominated by a file sale from Archegos Capital as it unloads billions of dollars of shares. And B slumps on its Hong Kong debut as Chinese tech stocks tumble on fears of USD listings and increased regulation at home.
2: The third wave surges across Europe as doctors in France warn hospitals could soon be overwhelmed, while German Chancellor Angela Merkel calls on states to tighten lockdown measures.
0: So, very good morning, everybody. Steve and I have come over to the wall. Oh, must be it's, a big one. <laughs> it's a very big story this morning, isn't it? Um, and who knew how vulnerable global supply chains actually were? But this issue of the ship getting blocked in the Suez Canal has once again rammed home the message that actually the world supply chains are quite vulnerable to disruption. The 400-meter-long, ever-given cargo ship then reportedly almost completely. Float again with the engine started this according to Reuters it ran aground six days ago and has caused a tailback of nearly 400 ships efforts are now underway to clear traffic in one of the world's most important shipping lanes as many companies divert their vessels on longer alternative routes I think
1: I think oh, I, I know we can talk about well. I think yeah. we all knew about the Suez Canal, I mean every English schoolboy read about the Lesseps and what have you and how, how they're, and obviously uh, in more recent history the importance of the Suez Canal in, in the demise of the British Empire with the Suez Crisis in the 50s, so I think there are a couple of historical presents where we did all know about the vulnerability, I'm actually surprised about how well things are going regardless of it being blocked actually, so there you go, because I think you know, we all knew about the routes around Africa and, and how torturous and long and mm-hmm. the seas are dangerous and the piratical concerns as well, so I think we did, so I think Yes, things have been bad on the back of this. I'm surprised they weren't worse in many ways, but we'll come to that. Uh, The oil price, of course, did rally around about 4% at the tail end of last week. What's been an extraordinary set of moves last week, we were down aggressively, then up aggressively, then down again, then up. So great volatility, if you if you know what you're doing as a day trader on the oil price last week. Now, um, a knee-jerk reaction to the fact that this shipping lane, which, of course, uh, has got this huge, what's it called, it, exponential traffic jam going on, uh, a lot of them being tankers, of course. Well, uh, if it opens up, that is a positive uh, for those suppliers, which means that Brent is moving in the opposite direction. Down one point seven percent of that, although nowhere near our lows of last week. Our lows last week were a sixty handle on Brent and significantly below fifty-nine bucks for WTI. But WTI trading down one point nine percent now. Well, we've sent Dan uh, to Egypt uh, and he's on the phone now from Suez. So Dan, on the phone from Suez, what's the latest,
3: guys? Good morning to you. Well, I am in Suez, Egypt, where we're learning this morning that salvage teams. Yes, have been able to partially free the Ever Given in the Suez Canal, at least according to the maritime services provider InchScape. Now, details are still emerging, I must stress that, but this is a significant breakthrough for rescue operators who have been attempting to free this vessel, blocking the Suez Canal for almost a week now. InchScape saying this morning that the vessel is now being secured and the engines are running. Of course, it's still not clear how soon the waterway will be open again to traffic, or how long it's going to take the Ever Given out. Uh, Reports this morning suggest that about 400 ships are still waiting to pass through the canal. So this blockage causing a major disruption to global supply chains. In terms of the asset market reaction that we're following right now, of course, Steve, as you mentioned, oil prices have fallen on this news. Remember oil and LNG make up about five to ten percent of Suez shipments overall. So easing the block is bearish oil, but guys, it's likely temporary. The other thing I'd be watching out for is shipping and container rates, which will probably normalize over the next few hours. And at the same time, fears about a global uptick in inflation also starting to ease as the Suez Canal gets moving again. Of course, we saw good progress happening over the weekend as well. I remember arriving in um, Suez and uh, getting out to the village where the canal is. Looking at this ship, you can see just how big it is and just how challenging it has been for rescue operators. Uh, we saw dredges using really highly specialized equipment to pump out uh, about 27,000 cubic meters of sand and clay from underneath the ship. Uh, we've also seen diggers excavating around the bow and uh, More than a dozen tugboats on the scene, on hand to get this tanker free. Um, Ultimately, what we've uh, learned today is that this perhaps avoids the worst case scenario as well, which would uh, be the ship's containers having to be unloaded. Uh, This is something that President Sisi of Egypt mentioned yesterday. He put a Tuesday deadline on that saying he'd prefer to have those uh, tankers, uh, the, the tankers' containers coming off in order to ease the, uh, ease the load. Of course, that would, would be a, a very long process. It would have prolonged the delay, so certainly a worst-case scenario being avoided. But um, ultimately, what we're looking out for now is some answers, and, and an investigation is now underway into how this ship came to be stuck. Um, Egyptian officials and representatives of the Suez Canal Authority are planning to hold a press briefing later today And look, no doubt they're going to be asked, uh, what caused this? Was it high winds? Was it speed? Pilot error, a systems failure, a combination of those factors perhaps that led to this incident. And Steve, to your point earlier, I think this also really underscores just how critical the Suez Canal still is for world trade. You've all heard the numbers. You've seen the data. 12% of world trade, 20,000 ships a year, $400 million an hour in goods. And one mishap like this can bring it all to a standstill. Certainly a lot of questions to be answered here, and a big repair job now underway for the Egyptian government to restore trust in this prized legacy asset that they see as obviously very critical for their own economy moving forward.
1: All right, Dan. Excellent work. Yeah, you say those are the questions. I mean, many of us out there saying, if it could pilot error, it's only a straight bit of water. It's not like some swampy estuary that they've got to navigate, is it? It's it just go, just go straight, mate. But anyway, and the other big question, of course, is for most Britons, when they're going to get their garden furniture. But Daniel, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, let us. Uh, it's true. Uh, let's move on. Uh, I, I hear IKEA's had a few delays through there as well. Uh, 1.2% higher was the Nasdaq move on Friday, 1.66% higher the S&P 500. And even though, and we'll come to this with Karen and Jeff in a few moments time, but but my headline, did you hear my headline? I hope you did. I hope you were listening. Arkagos dominates trading conversations on Friday. Well, it did. And I, again, like you lot, I was fascinated. But then I thought to myself, this huge fund potentially liquidating positions and still having to liquidate more positions. And we're at 1.7% on the Dow, uh, on the SP. We're at 1.4% on the Dow. So, yes, it dominated conversations, but it didn't affect the direction of travel of the broader market. If you were a Viacom CBS shareholder, you had a a tough time of it. Let's have a look at the Dow Transports anyway and see where uh, they ended. Again, Huge rally, 2.3% to the good as well. Russell 2K as well. Well, Russell 2K is interesting because for the week, Russell 2K actually lost ground. It lost 2.9%. It rallied 1.8% on Friday. So again, huge volatility. And this is something that Karen and Jeff were talking about in the studio last week, and I was pointing out as well, is that some of the rotation appears to be, well, Stop for the moment, and actually everyone selling off a whole variety of stocks because they have concerns about resumption of COVID cases, about slow rollouts of vaccinations in some part of the world as well. But what is interesting as well is uh, by the tail end of the week, the U.S. 10-year was trading at 1.67, now back down to 1.65 as well. So the 10-year yield uh, rallying again. The dollar index last week, again part of the same story, was up nine tenths of one percent as well. So in terms of the sectoral basis, well, energy put on two. 2.6% last week. Uh, real estate, a big one on Friday, put on 2.6%. Real estate for the week was the highest performing stock, which I thought was interesting. Up 4.2%. Good morning, Karen Cho.
2: Good morning, Steve. Let's get into a little more around this fire sale of stocks on Friday. And just what a good spell for markets. There's a sharp fall in some US media stocks and Chinese internet firms on Friday. It was due in part to a forced block trade by investment firm Archaegos Capital Management, according to CNBC sources. Now, a downturn in the shares of Viacom, CBS and Discovery earlier last week led the fund to issue margin calls on some of its more leveraged positions. Archaegos Goss has not responded to requests for comments, but uh, perhaps it has a signaling function here. And Jeff, you've got an announcement as well about margin calls this morning, which I think is fascinating because as we talk about this buy sale related to too much leverage and margin calls, we just wonder whether we've got signs of stress starting to be flagged up in the market at some point.
0: Yeah, I think this is fascinating and let me just read the Credit Suisse announcement this morning to you because I think um, everybody needs to pay attention to what Credit Suisse are saying at this stage and everybody will be looking, I think, at what other organisations will be releasing information about this over coming hours. A significant US-based hedge fund defaulted on margin calls made last week by Credit Suisse and certain other banks following the failure of a fund to meet these margin commitments credit suisse and a number of other banks are in the process of exiting these positions credit Swiss Group, while at this time it is premature to quantify the exact size of the loss resulting from this exit, it could be highly significant and material to our first quarter results, notwithstanding positive trends announced in our trading statement earlier this month. We intend to provide an update on this matter in due course. Margin calls happen... More often than
1: not, in a market that is dominated by long players, when you are worried about the positions underperforming to the downside. Markets have been rallying aggressively. Markets are at record levels in many ways as well. Why did this fund, which again, a lot of people are adding two and two and coming up with the name that we mentioned in the headlines. Yes. Why is this fund facing increased margin calls at a time when the market is hitting record levels? Uh, but VIX indicators were low, VAR indicators were low as well. So very interesting to see that margin calls, and, and the second point of course is, is Credit Suisse beginning to look clumsy? This is the second time we've seen a major concern in the last few weeks. One, versus, uh, about Green Seal. two, mm. now about this unnamed fund that a lot of people are adding two and two and coming up to the uh, four, which is the name I mentioned in the headlines as well. Mm. Are they beginning to look like
0: they've got a problem with risk management? Well, you made some interesting points about what the function of the risk management office is when we discussed green sell. But here again, there's another situation where obviously uh, there will be some examination of what was actually approved in the, uh, the trading department. Um, let's just focus uh, for a moment here on um, the, the, the levels as well, because um, FINRA uh, reported record margin debt for January at just under um, $800 billion in the United States, um, which is an eye-watering amount. The interesting thing is that a lot of the banks looked at it and said, well, this is ultimately a bullish sign for markets. Bank of America, I remember, coming out and saying, you don't have to get too concerned about this level of margin debt. This just indicates how excited people are about the potential upside for markets through the rest of this year on the inflation trade. Or in 2006. Absolutely. So um, here we are again with a situation where we are now trying to work out what the... The uh, consequences of this story are going to be as they reverberate through the market because inevitably there are more than one cockroach when you look at this story you get a margin call, you get these dramatic liquidations, as we saw on Friday, and inevitably that triggers other liquidations because that forces a call on other participants in the market. But,
1: but just, I know, Karen, you come in here, but it didn't, though, did it on Friday? It didn't actually create a fire sale across all markets on Friday. Now, whether that happens today remains to be seen. But it, but on Friday, as I say, we got to record levels on a lot of these markets.
2: Yeah, um, markets have been slow to react in some ways and quick to react in other ways. I think we saw that with the Fed the other week. The market was very slow to react to a lot of JPAR's commentary. But then this is a market that's been very quick to react in a pandemic on a sell-off and on a recovery trade. So the question is whether there's still more to come. And to me, there's a lot of dot-com about this. If you go digging into the Archaegos story and you see what happened with the Viacom CBS, I mean, this is a stock that had very stretched valuations. It had run extremely hard with the streaming crowd. It had launched its own service. The stock had escalated so rapidly that management was sitting there thinking, "Well, let's embark upon a stock offering here, three point five billion worth." And then, as it did, investors went back and raked over some of the fundamentals of this company and went, "Well, perhaps it's not worth the numbers that we are now seeing in the marketplace." So effectively, instead of securing this this uh, capital and uh, bolstering the business, it uh, put fresh scrutiny on Viacom CBS and there are questions around the extent of the streaming service, whether it will just fuel the cord cutting that's been happening with the, some of the cable channels and whether it will lead to falling viewers. So the stock lost about half of its value over the course of last week on the back of a stock offering that should have uh, sent the stock probably in the opposite direction. So I think you start to go back to basics and say, well, this is a company that had such a violent reaction to its valuation. Are there others? they could also have similar uh, wake-up calls in coming weeks as investors go back over some of the fundamentals. Th- those same fundamentals have not mattered for many weeks, as we know, many months, because investors have been looking at low interest rates. But this story is now number one for a lot of fund managers concerned about any uh, reflation story and any rise in interest rates. They're questioning the valuations, and this is one of the first companies where you're seeing it. Uh,
0: so the question, I think... Um, uh- We'll have to uh, continue to ask is uh, to what extent are some parts of the market now over leveraged effectively? I think we've been uh, making the case around the desk for some time that wherever you look, there is evidence of um, stretched valuations. And um, I don't know whether you call it excessive risk taking, but definitely risk taking. And for at least uh, one fund, as we uh, are discussing here this morning, um, they have had to take the action of uh, uh, liquidating positions. And inevitably, there are going to be uh, losses for some organizations, as Credit Suisse has pointed out this morning. Uh, too early for them to come up with a number, but they are anticipating a material impact to the first quarter, a story that we will uh, continue to track through the programme this morning, uh, because no doubt there will be some other announcements. Uh, UBS, meantime, has picked 15 European stocks, it believes, could see strong gains thanks to elevated volatility, including some big names in the energy and the telecom space. Go and have a look at CNBC Pro if you're interested in finding out which ones
1: so coming up on the show, Abu Dhabi's eyes benchmark status with the launch of the Murban crude futures. Uh, we'll discuss that. Plus, for more on the developments in the Suez Canal and the potential impact of President Biden's $3 trillion infrastructure spending plan, be sure to tune into to the great podcast called Squawk Podcast. Welcome back. The president of Ice Futures Europe has told CNBC the long-awaited launch of the Murban Crude Futures is a key step on price transparency. Dan Murphy spoke with Stuart Williams ahead of today's launch and started by asking about the market build-up.
4: This is one of those things which uh, the market has been talking about for a long time. Um, and, you know, th- this time around, uh, you know, with not keen to, to do this project as well, um, and a lot of the partners that have joined us and, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of interest in the market. So, so we're pretty excited and uh, you know, we've got a lot of people that, that are planning to be watching the, the, the market from day one.
3: What's the problem that Moban Futures will solve for Abu Dhabi?
4: If we think about how the oil markets have developed over the last number of years, there's a lot more competition with US barrels going to Asia. Um, and Asian refiners really have the ability to, to choose where, where they're buying their crude from. Um, and as we all know, light sweet crude like Moban, which is a, a great quality crude, is a very fungible grade. Um, and can be run in so many refineries. So one of the things that, uh, that this will, will, the problems that this will solve is, is the problem of price transparency. Um, and so you know, all of AdNoc's customers uh, will have the ability to, to see value in a, in a market-driven uh, pricing formation process. Uh, and of course, we'll also then, with a futures contract, have the ability to hedge that price risk. And uh, you know, one of the things that financial markets bring to producers and consumers is the ability to, to manage price risk and therefore, the ability to allocate capital and, and make choices which uh, ultimately drive business growth. Company.
1: Well, Hadley joins us with more on the debut of Murban Crude Futures. Hadley, just, just go through again, just take a step back for all our viewers. What is the rationale for having the Murban rather than using those other benchmarks which have, have been time tested, really?
5: <laughs> it's an excellent question, Stephen, one that we've been asking Adnoc for a while now. Essentially, they've told me that this is about getting the maximum out of every single barrel of oil. Now, Adnoc, Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, has the capacity to produce around three and a half million barrels a day. Now, it's very interesting about where those barrels are headed. They're obviously going to Asian customers and they're going to be taking a pipeline um, from their production facility down to the port of Fujairah where they will go uh, to those customers and it's interesting isn't it because that means that they're able frankly to to bypass the strait of hormuz that major choke point that we've seen in the past uh, for oil markets but listen into what they had to say
6: I think it's a mark of a journey of transformation and and, and the energy markets uh, as we know Brent uh, and WTI are you know, light, sweet crudes that are focused on their markets. Uh, Murban is a light, sweet crude that uh, lands in Asia. It provides a good flexibility and proxy for a lot of the users, uh, customers, as well as producers for that kind of grade. Uh, it is supported by a, an abundance of production capability. Uh, we have over 2 million barrels of capacity, uh, capability to produce in comparison to, for example, Brent, which has about 800,000 barrels per day.
5: Would you describe this in a sense as as just sort of a reflection of how crude markets operate today as they haven't in the past?
6: Well, I think generally uh, the market is, uh, you know, is liquid and it has a lot of different needs. And I think this uh, Merbank futures contract provides yet another tool for the consumers and the producers to be able to price barrels landing in Asia, east of Suez. And and I think the key characteristics on Merban being freely traded without any instructional restrictions, the fact that it has a customer base that is wide, 60 customers, 30 markets, and the fact that it's sold by seven shareholders, it, it gives it that quality to to to, to rise and, and to be able to be adopted in the Asia market.
5: So Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, they're essentially saying this is probably about really trying to get the maximum out of every single barrel that they sell. But it's also, of course, about security, the ability to bypass the Strait of Hormuz, the ability to get uh, that light sweet crude to Asian consumers. And also, of course, it's about the bigger picture about, you know, the diversification of the UAE, petrodollar economy that move uh, by the Abu Dhabi government to really fast forward when it comes to that kind of diversification and transition. And also about the fact that light sweet crude, they did point out to me, uh, guys, is much more carbon friendly. So, I guess my
1: problem is the is the liquidity of a Murban market and not only of course uh, selling your barrels uh, as a Murban barrel rather than a Brent barrel as well is the, I, I I don't know, Hadley, there's nothing wrong with the Brent market in terms of liquidity. Are they going to encompass liquidity issues in the Murban when traders say, well, we've already got a very good benchmark, which we can use and we can uh, sell, trade billions of barrels worth a week rather than the actual millions that are getting sold a week. Where is the problem at the, with the current product? Again, I don't necessarily see how they can extract more juice out of a Murban rather than a Brent contract.
5: This is a question we keep putting to them. And essentially, they've said again and again, this is about getting um, the uh, idea that they are pricing their own product at this point, all of these petrodollar economies here in the Gulf Arab countries, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, um, Kuwait, et cetera. That's the idea that they have their own uh, pricing index, I guess. But it's going to be really interesting to watch how this one all plays out, especially after the fact that you've seen oil prices, of course, slipping today on their uh, big debut, unfortunately, (laughs) off the back of that Suez crisis. I asked him as well, you know, has this impacted your business in any way? And he said, absolutely not. Our barrels are not headed through the Suez.
1: No, uh, absolutely spot on, because their barrels are thankfully for them going the other way, aren't they? Whereas, as you know better than I do, that's where the marginal barrel uh, ends up. Uh, Asia, because of the huge growth we've seen there. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.